Hey everybody, let's go to school. Today I have Marvel Hammer with me, and Marvel I've known for years. She's tremendously accomplished in her field, and that's compliance and practice management. Her, Vicki Mykoviak, who's an attorney, and Judy Holmes, who's an attorney, kind of take the broad brushstroke of employees to risk management, to practice management to a new level. The reason we have these people in our practice is to make sure we're doing it right, and we're doing it right for the right reasons. It's a fact of life. A medical practice and so many other parts of medicine have a compliance territory that has to be explored. We need certain policies in place. We must have accountability, and we have to be able to demonstrate these to the best interest of third parties – uh, including the government, and to our patients. Yeah, granted, you're not going to hear a patient say, let me see your compliance plan. You're not going to hear that. But th- what they want to know is that, yeah, you're following certain guidelines, best practices, best policies, and ultimately that leads to a considerably higher level of care. So with Marvel Hammer today, and I'll be cornering Vicki Mykoviak and Judy Holmes again very soon, we're going to talk about some of these compliance positions. The whole point is, to understand better what is in the physician's face every day. And usually it's it's not just the physician. It also extends to the practice, to the entire office setting, to the entire hospital setting. We're not excluded on any level. So count on it. This stuff's going to get more complicated, and that's why we have professionals like Marvel staying on it every day because that's what it needs, an everyday exploration. So let's get to it. Today's episode here at the Florida Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, I have the pleasure of Marvel Hammer. And yes, Marvel describes her very well. She is not only marvelous, but a uh, Marvel character in the fact that she is the uh, number one UNO supreme uh, go to source for billing and coding. How important is that? Because it's business, and that's a business side of medicine that keeps access to care flowing. It keeps doctors' doors open. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Dr. Hansen. Um, Yes, I am Marvel Hammer. I am a nurse, and I worked many years in the hospital setting and then decided to transition over to the business side and um, have owned a third-party billing service but really decided that I like to teach and so work with physicians on understanding the business of medicine and how they should get paid so that they can keep the money. Well, that is so true. And she has been to so many of our meetings and others' meetings, and what she does is she tells doctors, well, this is okay and this isn't okay. So what exactly is the compliance side of what we do and what you want to tell us to do? Well, I think the important thing is, you know, doctors don't learn in their medical school, in their residency, in fellowships of how to report their services. Unfortunately, they have people coming to their offices day in and day out that are that are telling them they can report it with this or with that, but that may not be compliant and may, in fact, get them in trouble. And so just there's some simple little tips that doctors can do 
to learn um, how to compliantly report their services. Well, that's that's good because the the uh, the key here is um, when a doctor, as as we've heard John and Cindy talk, puts in a bill, we've got it. We got to do it right. If it isn't done right, it's either rejected or denied. There's two ways of looking at it. Rejection is one thing we can fix that. Denial is a whole nother process. So that's where it comes into this big broad brushstroke that you help us with. So starting from when I look at a patient, I examine a patient, what am I doing? You know, I think the important thing that I say particularly to young docs coming out is get yourself a CPT code book and read the descriptors because when the AMA creates a code, when they include such verbiage as with image guidance, which is the case for many of the interventional pain procedures, there is rationale behind that, and that gives you big clues uh, to whether you can separately bill your image guidance. We certainly know you're performing the service, but in some cases you can separately bill for it, and in other cases you can't. I'd probably add on besides um, denials and um, not getting paid for it, but there's also the third of you're getting paid for it, but you're getting paid for it incorrectly, and yet it'll come back to haunt you. And so you want to make sure that it's being billed right the first time so that you can get paid in a timely manner, but also get to keep the money that you you should. Yep, and you said it just right, keep the money. <clears throat> this is the problem that doctors face. We have this daunting landmine in front of us, and we don't know where we're going to step on it. That it, We may not even understand it. You said a CPT, and tell us what a CPT is. Well, that's the current procedural terminology. It's actually the AMA's proprietary code set that we use for the vast majority of physician services to report them to all types of payers, not just to Medicare, but all your commercial payers and your Medicaids and work comps and auto injury. And that's what's really translating a physician service into a five-character code. Um, and there's codes for office visits and there's codes for procedures. And and with each one of those codes, there's a description associated with it. And that's what I was referring to is a, is a doctor to get at least comfortable reading that descriptor, at least making some sense of what that is instead of just... I always circle this because this is what someone told me to circle, and so I've always circled that, and that, and they've paid it, and it must be right because the insurance paid it, and that unfortunately is not always the case. Well, that's so true, <clears throat> because the rules change, and the rules are made by the AMA through a CPT process. It's a ruck. It's a big story. That's beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But the bottom line is, it's your job to tell us the information. And it's our job to get it right when we bill, because as we learn, it's not just turning in a bill. It's turning in a bill right, or uh, let's have some uh, takey-backy. And the takey-backy can be big, can it? Exactly. You know, um, it can be as simple as just you've been uh, overpaid and they want money back. But if we're talking about fraud, 
you know, as in the government's definition where you've knowingly and willingly build the wrong code or we'll talk in a bit about the wrong modifier just to get paid. Um, currently, it's three times the amount that you got paid plus $11,000 for each claim you submitted. And that can very quickly escalate to very big numbers. Um, and so the key is you're wanting to make sure that you report it correctly, not just to get paid, but to make sure that you're getting paid correctly for all the work you do, but not overpaid, but also not have denials for things that you should be paid for. That's right. And I, I like to say... I want to get paid for absolutely everything I'm worth and not a penny more. But that penny more is sometimes translated in this bizarre fashion by the government to come up with a number. Tell us about how they do that. Well, um, when you're looking at the at the number of where we're looking at audits and those types of things, um, you know, they're really looking at utilization of codes. Um, where they're looking for outliers, you know, providers that tend to report um, very high-level office visits on every single patient, or they'll always report multiple levels of uh, transforaminal epidurals. Um, and they're looking at utilization of even such things as modifiers, because in some cases, you know, many providers will learn about maybe CPT codes, but they really don't understand this this concept of putting a modifier on, a, you know, a two-character modifier on there. And in some cases, that two-character modifier makes a difference of payment or no payment. Right. This year we had this... Uh other challenge just come and slap us around a little called ICD-10. And it's really a, a big subject to stand alone on its own. But what do we go from about 14,000 codes to about 150,000? You know, actually from the physician side, it's about 14,000 to about 70,000. Um, but in many of the cases, that, that huge increase, a lot of it was just that definition of laterality. So we had right you know, right shoulder pain and left shoulder pain. So in some of the cases, we did have an explosion, explosion in some of the spinal regions. So instead of our standard cervical, thoracic, lumbar, we now have additional specificity that um, hopefully we'll be able to use in support of um, evidence-based medicine. I'm not for sure, you know, we're, we're not even a year into it to see if it can be helpful in that aspect. But um, some of them, at least in interventional pain, uh, the additional increases are, are the specificity. For example, we have multiple codes for um, the various skin sensation um, where we used to have a 782.0, which was disturbance of skin sensation, where now we have a separate code for paresthesia. We have a separate code for hypoanalgesia. We have a separate code for hyperesthesia. So again, adding more specificity even into the symptom codes. Yep. Well, I guess to kind of round it out and put it together is... We're going to be talking more about this. And who's your partner in crime? Uh, well, Vicki McCoviak yes, is, is. Is, a, is a great bitch. She's an attorney, and I rely heavily on her. There are certain things that, you know, attorneys are much well aware of, you know, some of the government rules that are have very specific criteria. Um, and we have some state rules that fall into place for some of our commercial payers that, that I've 
frequently said, uh, we can know all the CPT rules, but he who has the gold has the right to make the rules. And so our payers, to some degree, make that determination of how frequently can you bill for this or or what is the hoop that you need to report for a diagnosis code for that those types of things that yes you're billing it correctly but the payer doesn't necessarily cover it right so let's go down the cascade this confusion cascade doctor sees patient doctor performs level of service you said level of service higher level of service i i know what you mean so if i'm circling a higher level of service i expect to get paid more because it's a more complex patient or i did more then we circle or we put into our electronic record what what we think or the electronic record thinks, but the electronic record shouldn't think because the buck stops with us, doesn't it? That is exactly right. And, then, you know, electronic health records have really been designed to, to help doctors, and it has that capacity, but it has to accurately portray what really happened. And that's one of the big downfalls is, Every day, physicians are busy, they're seeing lots of patients, and we, we get into bad habits, and we sometimes have documentation that doesn't accurately portray what really happened. And it's not only a billing and coding risk, because it may not support for what really happened, but also in your medical liability risk, um, regulatory risks, et cetera, it, particularly in interventional pain management if you're doing chronic opioid uh, therapy. The, the record, I've always said, perform the service, document what you performed, code from what you documented, and then bill that out. And if you keep those in that order, you'll be fine if you're reviewed. But sometimes our EHRs are not accurate or we don't make the changes and they're templated in and you don't unclick boxes and you get into more difficulty because it says that you've done a, uh, a female um, organ examination on every single patient. And we didn't really do that. Or we sometimes didn't really listen to the lungs on everybody, abdominal examination. It's real easy to do. And when you do it, let's face it, you know, this is what we're, we're staring down the barrel at. We have a beautiful history, a beautiful physical exam. It's all nicely cloned by the medical record by push of a button. And the medical complexity is, it's a toenail. It's a, it, so we have level four, level four, level two medical complexity. So what is it? Well, you know, um, there's, there's various rules that get applied, but I've, I've always tried to teach docs that when you step out of the exam room, take a half a second and ask when you're looking at levels of service, how complex was this patient to either diagnose, because that's what you're doing, you're trying to make a diagnosis, or manage. And just intuitively, you'll get a feeling after you've been in practice for a period of time of how complex was this? Was this the train wreck patient that's got lots of comorbidities and you're really doing a lot of workup and there's lots of complexity? Or as you say, was this something, a simple sprain strain that you're telling them, look, you probably need to lose some weight, you know, I'm going to 
tell you to take some over-the-counter drugs, and I want to see you back, you know, in a couple of weeks. Um, just because they're a new patient, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a level four. And that's why there's different levels of service in E&M, because it takes a different amount of cognitive work. When you're getting paid for office visits and that sort, you're getting paid for the cognitive work. And some patients take more cognitive work to make a diagnosis or manage and others at that particular visit are more straightforward. They're doing well on their meds. They've, you've done an interventional procedure, and, and they've done very well, and you're telling them basically you don't need to come back in, unless you have a re-exacerbation or your symptoms come back. And in those, it, it doesn't meet the level of level four. Triumph. You said E&M. That's evaluation and management, and evaluation and management means we've we've gone in, we've done some stuff, history, physical, medical decision making. We, as you said, paused and we've decided, uh, okay, what did I really just see? Now, when you're seeing thirty or forty patients a day, you got to really think this through because, let's face it, uh, patients want us to be accurate. The payers want us to be accurate. Everybody does. And so the progression of elements goes from seeing the patient, medical decision-making, putting a bill in, getting it right, down the line getting paid, and getting paid for what we do. And I guess that's what it comes down to. So this is going to be a conversation uh, in progress, and um, I'm going to corner you again. How can we get a hold of you? Well, um, the easiest way, because I travel a lot, is, is through email. When providers have questions of, I, I'm going to do this new procedure or I'm getting a denial, the easiest way to reach me is through email, um, my first name with my last initial at AOL.com. But that that's the, the easiest way. I have office, but I'm not in there very often. Um, she, she does travel around and does uh, consultation. She does travel around and does uh, audits in offices. And that's... Um, that is so important to us all, getting that audit done, getting our compliance plan in place. So invite her. Invite her with a robust intent. And uh, I have always appreciated her generosity with her time, always available. But let's face it, limited amount of time. We've all got limited amount of seconds during the day. Let's use them wisely. Thanks again, Marvel. I'm going to corner you again in a couple of weeks, and I hope your uh, is your partner in crime going to be there. Yes, actually, Vicky and I are both speaking at the uh, board review course in Memphis, so we're looking forward to it. And guess what? Judy's going to be there. I heard that. I did. Awesome. So, all right. So you're not out of harm's way. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks. Th- thanks a lot. Bye bye. Thanks, Marvel. That was really good. Really, some fine pieces of information. It's just the just touching the tip of the necessities that we need in our practice for risk management. And we'll be going through that. We're just going to keep building and building and developing. It's not an overnight process, but we're taking a proactive role, which is in the best interest of patients ultimately. So thanks again, Marvel, and we're going to have you on again, I hope, real soon.